Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion. That USDA program, it's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the Farm Bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. Joe Biden, when I was 23 years old, just like today, would, he, he makes you feel like the, the most important person in the room, and he engages you, not in a superficial way. John Anzalone is best known as President Joe Biden's pollster. He's the guy who designed Biden's winning campaign strategy. And it's funny because they just wanted me to put um, a deck together of, you know, the path to victory. You know, you want to keep those things secret. Again, everyone's, you know, you're kind of a vault. Yeah. Uh, and I would go and, you know, I'd present this to uh, the vice president, Jill and Valerie and, and, and Donald and Rochetti. It was in, a very small group. In Delaware group. at his house? No, or? actually in, in, in McLean. Biden loved it so much, he wouldn't stop showing it to everyone. <laughs> so I would get these calls. Doug Jones would call me, hey, I just saw your deck. One of the reasons they hit it off they both come from similar working class backgrounds that helped shape their worldview. It's like I had to scrape by for everything I got. Anzalone grew up in St. Joseph, Michigan. It was it was kind of an economic struggle and, and survival game. At age 11, uh, 11, 12, 13, he worked long days shining shoes with his grandpa. This big, beautiful marble shoe stands. I mean, you still see him occasionally, probably in Grand Central Station yeah, and yeah, places yeah. like that. He's now based in Montgomery, Alabama. He sometimes feels a little snubbed by DC insiders. I'm not in DC, I'm not the big name. Right now, he's in Vegas. He's a top advisor to Governor Steve Sisolak, who is up for re-election this year. We're having breakfast at Alexa's, a restaurant right under a huge replica of the Eiffel Tower at the Paris Hotel on the Strip. I, t I told him not to put the coconut whipped cream, but fucking A. You gotta, <laughs> That's good. You gotta try that. His strategy worked for Biden in 2020, obviously. But a lot has changed since then. Biden is deeply unpopular, and the Democrats are facing a brutal midterm. So how to save the Democrats in 2022? Anzo has a plan. This is Playbook Deep Dive. I'm Ryan Lizza. In the coming weeks and months, I'll be out covering the key districts and states that will decide the outcome of the midterm elections. Nevada this week, Arizona next. So the big story here in Nevada about the Democrats sinking fortunes is about demographics, something that Anzo knows well. I think that a lot of time there's this narrative in D.C. among Democrats that you only talk to Latinos about immigration. Like immigration is like the 12th issue that they're concerned about. Guess what? They're concerned about you know, the same things everyone else is concerned about. It was best framed in an article last week by Rui Teixeira long-time Democratic data analyst. What do you get, Teixeira wrote, when you combine the Democrats' Hispanic voter problem with the Democrats' working-class voter problem? Something like the Democrats' Nevada problem. So, John, let's just start off with how bad are things for Democrats this year, and what can they do about it? I think what we're missing right now is that voters are very much in what have you done for me lately they always are and they don't feel democrats can get their shit together and get things done and so you know if we're able to do something you know, skinny bbb or whatever 
on, you know, health insurance uh, costs, prescription drug costs, you know, elderly care, child care. That's a big deal because, you know, it will give Democrats, I think, a competitive advantage on what they're doing for working families. And it will cut through the inflation narrative, the Ukraine narrative, the Afghan narrative, the border narrative, et cetera. Um, and right now, we don't see that and we don't have that. I mean, no one's going to sit there as a Democratic consultant and try to bullshit you that this is anything but a really sour environment for Democrats. So we better look at the strategic ways that we can compete, yeah. like, right, just yeah. to compete to not get our asses kicked. Most Americans are really pissed the fact that they pay their fair share in taxes as middle class people. They work hard. You know, they want to see the benefits of the economy. They're getting raises. Yes, inflation's eating it up. But I'll tell you what they're pissed about. And we were talking about Citizens for Tax Justice and all those reports we put out about the big companies that didn't pay their fair share. Back then it was GE and and companies like that. It's different now, but they see these big companies not paying any taxes. And, you know, Biden's proposal of, you know, making those making over 400,000 pay a little bit more taxes and big corporations pay a little bit more taxes. So they pay their fair share to make investments in health care and education and child care is really important. Would you dial up nationally? I would the so sort of dial populism? up. We are and, and so, kind of, we yeah. are so, just from like, a messaging point of view. Yes, yeah. and we're, you know, we're That's, scared of our own shadow on taxes yeah. and it fucking makes no sense. It's the number one economic policy that we always test is making those at the top. Listen, people do not begrudge people making a lot of money and being getting wealthy. People have a problem and pissed off about them not paying any fucking taxes. And why, as a party, we don't elevate that in our messaging and contrast messaging, you know, is beyond me. And this is not a Biden problem, by the way. Joe Biden has been doing this for three three years. This is a congressional Democrat problem who shy away from this because they think that they're going to get hit on taxes. Guess fucking what? You're going to get hit on taxes anyway. You're going to get beat up on taxes. So control the narrative. Good point. Sorry, I got on, right. a, I got on a soapbox. <laughs> so um, as Biden's getting ready to run in 2020, were you involved in the early planning? Yeah, well, you know, Mike Donlin and Steve Reschetti reached out, and I think it, this is all in some books, I yeah. believe, I yeah. hear. Um, <laughs> you know, it is. and it's funny because, you know, I put they just wanted me to put um, a deck together of, you know, the path to victory. And so what I, era is this about? This is January of 2019. And, you know, okay. sat down with them. And, so he, and he announces in like April. April. Okay. And um, put another deck together, um, which I it was like breaking the mist of the Democratic primary. Because, again, the insiders in D.C. Wait, let's think, slow down here. I want to talk yeah. about these decks uh-huh. to, to the extent you can talk about. It. The first deck, the All path public to polling. And, and then what's the what's the argument at that point well, in January the argument 2019? Is how, how intense his support was and his very favorables, yeah. how people thought about him how people uh, thought about his experience, but maybe more importantly was people were willing who were not moderates, who were liberals, to vote for Joe Biden because they believed that he was the type of guy who could beat Trump. Got it. And so people were willing to be very pragmatic and maybe they were, you know, more in line with a Warren or whoever, but they didn't think that she could win. And so... Also, there was, was electability was a electability, real strength. but electability and, and, based on popularity and experience. Here's the difference. And that's not always the, that's not, that's always not the wasn't case in, in primaries, 2016. Right? Like, right. like Sanders people didn't like Hillary. Right. Hillary people didn't like Sanders people. Joe Biden's popularity 
among Warren people and Klobuchar and Buttigieg and Sanders, his popularity was incredibly high. Got it. And so there was also votes to get, right? But where he stood in terms of his base, our argument was sound. And so he you, didn't have to be the left candidate. Right. Because he had goodwill and, from those folks. And the thing is, is that you have to be patient because it, that is that is that argument you could believe gets fractured by Iowa and in New Hampshire, but it really doesn't because the big races become South Carolina and Super Tuesday. And you know, so that's you, really interesting. You got to, you know, you just got to like understand that you sew up the wounds if you're a boxer and you get, keep out there. But you know, by the, by the fourth round, you're going to knock the shit out of everyone else, and that's really what happened. Huh. And then the, the next deck, the deck, was, the next deck was, was the next argument about there was the this primary. narrative in yeah. D.C. that the Democratic presidential primary across the country is like an AOC convention. It's not. It's actually older. It's whiter. It's more moderate. You know, it's not like. Yeah. Quite frankly, devoured by young people who really don't vote in, vote in young uh, primaries. And, and, and so you guys just, would tell us in the press this all the time. Right. We, would you, and, so we just kind of showed that, you know, where people were, that uh, a majority, uh, literally a majority, 50-50, considered themselves moderate or conservative. And so you kind of had to break that myth with the media about what yeah. they were dealing with. That was doubly difficult at times because you had to get through the Iowa, which is a mess, and New Hampshire, which had two, you know, it had Sanders and Warren, which were favorite son, favorite daughters. And although that kind of got out of hand with Buttigieg and Klobuchar, that was a real, you know, um, I think, surprise. All right. So we're sitting here in Nevada. You're working on the governor's reelection campaign. Yeah. Um, Rui Teixeira, who you probably know, is a, a Democratic uh data analyst. Um, he co-authored that book back in the day, The Emerging Democratic Majority. Um, he, he, he wrote something about Nevada that I thought was really interesting recently, and he said it's the place where the Democrats' white working class problem and Hispanic problem is colliding to cause a, a very, very difficult uh, in, environment. You've been probably pulling the hell out of the state as, as working yeah. here, but what's the, I'm curious what you think of that theory and then just give us the kind of your breakdown of what Nevada tells us right now about Democrats nationally. Yeah, listen, I think that it's always easy to like say, oh, a state is unique. You Nevada's unique because it's based on one economy and it's tourism, it's casinos. And COVID beat the shit out of it, right? And it's chuck fill of a white working class yeah non-college and so yeah. why that's different for example my experience in michigan is that there's a whole lot of right, non- so you're working on whitmer, whitmer. whitmer you're working on whitmer so yeah give us the kind of so so mi- in, michigan in versus michigan, nevada like you have plenty of non-college educated voters white and black macomb county is a perfect example but guess what you also have a pretty decent union base right and even if you aren't a part of union you're in a union culture, so you're not so anti-union, right? Um, and you have a bunch of white seniors who are union. And so the seniors act differently in Michigan because a lot of them were in unions. And we can compete with seniors there better than we can compete with white non-college Does educators. Does that mean they have a, more of a connection to the Democratic Party or oh, absolutely. Ne- networks that absolutely. are easier to sort of tap no into? No doubt about it. Yeah. You grew up in that culture, right? Where, where union, Nevada, everyone's just kind of like... Where unions weren't the evil... And, and the organizational uh, aspect of it as well. 
I mean, you have unions here that are really important, um, clearly, you know. SEIU. And- that, that, I think, is, is part of the difference. Also, you know, a little bit more transient of people coming in and out. Um, and it's just a different culture. I mean, just the service industry here in the casinos, et cetera, is just a different culture. Uh, than it is in, in, in a place like uh, in a place like Michigan, um, and so you're gonna you're gonna see that that universe bounce around. I would say the Latino portion of it, it is no different than what we're seeing nationally. Yeah, in terms so of us, it, take us through that because this is, I think there was a lot of denial about this in 2018 and 2020 when some of the data started to show softening um, Hispanic support for Democrats and that Trump was was. Yeah, I, 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 you, I'm not saying that you were part of that. No, no, no. We were we were raised in red flags. You were. Oh yeah, and the the, the Biden campaign took it very seriously, and I think they probably spent more money on Latino paid media early on. I mean, our our message was always treat Latinos like per, uh, persuadable voters, communicate with them from the very beginning. The Biden campaign did very specific Latino media, very specific African American media as well as everyone else, I think as early as July. So we were treating all voters like persuadable voters or, or just understanding that you can't come in six weeks before an election with African-Americans and Latinos on GOTV and expect that that's going to be enough. You have to give them the argument of what Biden's vision, et cetera. We got to do that again in 2022. What is the Democratic vision and agenda? How are we helping you more than the Republicans. Are we seeing racial groups that have a history of voting strongly for Democrats starting to polarize along education lines the same way that um, uh, white voters uh, have been? And that working class Latinos, African-Americans are so... In our data, doesn't matter where we are, it really has more to do with male and female. There's a huge divide in in where Latinos are voting or say they're going to vote. Um, whether you're a male Latino or you're a female Latino, right? So the Democratic problem was with male Latino specifically? Yes, yeah. right. And, and any of our bleed is younger male African-Americans. We saw that in 2020 uh, as well. And so whether you're looking at white voters or Latino voters or black voters, quite frankly, you're seeing a gender uh, difference. And then you'll see, of course, a college-educated difference as well. I mean, we do better with college-educated men than non-college-educated men in any of that group. Um, but the male-female split within Latinos is is pretty significant. So you, when you do focus groups and, and really sort of get under the hood of that issue, what are you what are you learning? I think that a lot of time there's this narrative in D.C. among Democrats that you only talk to Latinos about immigration. Like, immigration is like the 12th issue that they're concerned about. Guess what? They're concerned about, you know, the same things everyone else is concerned about. It's always about the economy or inflation or healthcare or schools. Yeah. You know, without a doubt, things like housing and crime tend to be higher among African Americans and Latinos um, uh, as well. So there are specific issues that you want to do it. But again, you know, in term, you, you get you got to understand what whatever each voter's going through in their personal lives, and their attention tends to be on those things that you know white voters uh, uh, put a priority on as well. We're talking about the primaries before the, the the 2020 primaries, and your understanding of the Democratic primary electorate and how it was a safe place to be in the in the middle to be. Um, embrace Biden's sort of moderate base. 
Steve Sisak and, and Gretchen Whitmer are perfect examples. I mean, uh, a progressive spent, I think, $7 million in the primary here against Steve Sislak, uh, Chris Jean Cooliani, um, had big money and big endorsements from, you know, Democratic groups, and, you know, Sislak beat her because he was a moderate. When was the prim- that primary? 2018. Oh, I'm sorry. The yeah. original, not this, not yet. Yeah, it wasn't primary you know, this we time. We had two, yeah. you know, Gretchen Whitmer had a self-funded progressive yeah. Um, and another uh, uh, progressive against her. And again, she won. And, I, I, you know, uh, she ran very much a moderate campaign, wanted to work with both sides of the aisle. A lot of the conversation online and in Washington, it goes back to what you were talking before about, like, people thinking, like, AOC is the Democratic Party. How does the national progressive messaging around issues that can be a little controversial for Democrats, how does that how does that bleed into um, these general election campaigns? In other words, Joe Biden was never for defund the police, right, as far as I remember. Was. No one is. But like a Harry lot of Bush de- is. Like, who right. is for defund? I mean, but it became a thing. It became a and thing it became because very loud. The Republicans are really good at amplifying yeah, the thing. But that I think that it, Who's they, didn't, the inven- they didn't invent it. They didn't okay. invent defund the police. Fair. Right? There's an but, activist class that genuinely believes yeah. that as a policy. Right. Right, a a literally minuscule activist class. But that stuff matters. That how much does that stuff matter? It does matter. I'm not dismissing whether it matters. I'm dismissing how big it is. What's your kind of like theory about the sort of mechanism by which that becomes like, oh shit! Now all Democrats are being defined. Well, I don't know by this policy that they don't that they actually don't. I don't have a theory except (laughs) the Republicans do a much better job of branding Democrats as Democrats do Republicans. I mean, we're afraid to talk about taxes when it's our top economic issue, right? That is defining them. They are protecting, you know, those who make over 400,000, the ultra rich and big corporations, you know, because they don't want to raise their taxes just a little bit to make investments on the things they say that they're for, right? I mean, we should be beating them up. They're protecting health insurance companies or they're protecting whatever big oil companies because they don't, they don't want to, they don't want to mess with their funders. And, you know, we don't do a good job of branding, but goddamn, man, you you know, critical race theory, which literally just one day popped up in the American lexicon and no one, it's not taught in any public school in America, now becomes an issue. They're really good at branding. I want to just get your thoughts, big picture thoughts on sort of Biden's trajectory over, you know, since uh, since he was sworn in from a, a polling perspective and an issues perspective. Um, we're in such a different place now than we were in, in, in early 2021. Some of these issues that Republicans were pushing back then that I think a lot of people were dismissive of immigration, inflation, crime are now core, core issues and um, things that the White House, um, from an issues perspective, uh, takes very seriously now. What's what's sort of your, you know, kind of thumbnail sketch of the arc of his presidency from a from a polling and issues perspective? The trajectory is the, you know, a, a, in modern day presidency that has never had as many challenges. And, you know, well, Barack I, I, Obama. would I, probably, I, you No, know, no, no. But, I don't think that you listen. I, you know, I was part of that and he had a terrible recession. Um, but he didn't have the byproducts of COVID, meaning supply chain, inflation, 
worker shortage, a health crisis within the system, you know, a, a, you know, a school crisis, you know, all of these things, um, you know, crime is definitely mental health all related. This is what I tell people. Don't do a story on polling or the trajectory of polling on Joe Biden without also talking to a psychologist. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm very serious what, about that. What do you because, mean by that? Well, because I don't think that people put into the equation the two-year trauma that people have had kind of yes. on the mental health side of it. Like, yeah. like yeah. the yeah. literally, you know, the fatigue, the, like worn out is always what we hear in focus groups, that people are yeah. literally worn out. Now, he's the president. And the fact is, is that, you know, he gets demerits in his job rating because of everything that is going on. And I can sit there and list you 10 or 12 things that he's done to try to deal with inflation or to deal with supply chain, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the reality is people are going through pain points every day, whether it's at the gas station or whether it's uh, at the grocery store, at the retail store, or when they turn the TV on and have to see what's happening in the streets of Ukraine. And we're fatigued, man. And when it rains, you know, you get wet. And he's the guy who unfortunately is getting wet. Doesn't mean that he doesn't do a bunch of great things. And here I'll tell you uh, where he is with kind of this tension with voters. 58% of voters believe that the actions he's taken in Ukraine, they agree with him. But when like over, over 50% also don't think he's done enough. Like, you know, that's the type of thing. If you ask questions about inflation, like, a more than a majority understand that it's a global thing, that it's supply chain, that a lot of this stuff is out of his of control, yeah. et cetera. But that doesn't mean that they won't also punish him with his job rating because he's president. And that's just the reality. And, and he understands that. The White House understands that. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's, they're not going to stop fighting every day. Uh, he's done the strategic uh, oil reserve where he's releasing 1,000 uh, gallons a day. All, all that type of stuff. So they're doing big stuff, um, and it's not, oh, it's not a message problem. We're just in a different era of, quite frankly, you know, not only how people get the news. I mean, you probably saw the study that, you know, there's all these great economic indicators going on, but people don't know of them depending on where they get their news. So, you know, so in other words, it's an unfortunate, it's really yeah. an unfortunate situation. I mean, is there is there a is there a opinion elite media person or consultant on either side who, if there was a Republican president right now, regardless of it was Trump, et cetera, knowing what everyone knows about, you know, everything that's going on, that that doesn't believe that their numbers would be, you know, similarly tough. I mean, again, you go Fair through enough. this. It's today's it's a, it's today's kind of baked into yeah. the first midterm. I mean, it's, it doesn't. But, well, my question but is, can I just do one yeah, thing yeah, because yeah. I think this is important. Yeah. You know, Reagan went through this, Clinton went through this, Obama went through this, and they all got reelected. And it may have even helped their reelection. You know, arguably. we're going to come up at some point. I mean, you know, Paul Volcker, do you remember what Paul Volcker said about inflation, tackling inflation? He said there's only two ways to beat it. Patience or put the economy in the recession. They put the economy in the recession. Remember what they did. Yeah. I mean, they're... Well, they're, there are some people who think that we're headed that, there. Well, but, but the reality is, is that, you know, um, number one, and what Biden's doing in terms of all of his, his policies is a hell of a lot better than putting the economy in, the, in, in recession. Well, I'm just saying that there are some economists now that uh, are predicting a, a, a recession, whether, the, whether it's caused by the Fed or not. Yeah, well... Um, What's your, we, did, we didn't talk about this, and just to go backwards a little bit, 
I do want to get your perspective on the lessons from New Jersey and Virginia. Yeah. And, and how important, you know, and how much have you really studied the, those races and... and um, Studied them a lot. Yeah. Are they... Well, everyone should what read... What do they help us understand about the midterms? First of all, everyone should read my partner, smart partner, Brian Stryker, um, his memo on Virginia. And he was, you know, doing this. And again, you know, this very much had to do with parents being kind of aggravated by Democratic, you know, COVID policies in schools. Clearly, Terry stepped in it on, you know, the the, uh, bringing uh, kind of the parent-teacher values thing into it. Uh, Again, the D.C. narrative tended to be critical race theory when it was really more about COVID and and school policy and, you know, whether parents should have a voice in um, uh, classroom, et cetera. Um, And it was real. Is that issue have legs nationally for Republicans? Yes, absolutely. But I think that I think that if you're how how are you seeing it? But yes and no. I mean, I think that people like Whitmer and Sisolak have gotten ahead of it. Like they didn't put, you know, any additional mandates, et cetera, on schools. They left it up to schools and they carried a message that that was important, that the priority was, you know, butts and seats and getting kids in schools. And so their job ratings for keeping schools open is is good you know not everyone's that way um but but the point is is that the republicans have forced us to have to explain ourselves and be proactive on that stuff this is why you want the tax debate to be front and center so you can do the same to them put them on their heels who are they protecting yeah two midterms in relative recent history that the, the the um the party that controlled the white house exceeded expectations in 98 and 2002 are there any, I don't know what you were doing in those cycles, but are there any lessons for 2022 um, in, in the... We're just in, we're just in a different era. Yeah. Like all the rules yeah. are like thrown out the window right now, yeah. right? I mean, I, I mean, you see that even in 2020 where Biden wins, but the Republicans, you know, gained 13 seats in the House, House. right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I think there was a little checks and balances there. I mean, I, I have a theory on why that happened. Um, but the fact is, I really do think all the rules are thrown out the window. Um there's a couple things. Listen, one, it's April, so we have some time. Yeah. Um, you know, these are the silver linings, I guess, or the yeah. hopes and wishes and prayers. Yeah. Um, the second is that the Republican primary season is going to wreak havoc on who they nominate. You know, the fact is, is that, you know, there's a big difference between getting Pat McCrory or Ted Budd, you know, I mean, in North Carolina. I yeah. think getting Ted Budd puts that seat in play. Um, so, yeah. you know, they're going to have some real problems. And we saw, I mean, we got, you know, we got Senator Joe Donnelly because of those type of things, right? You know, Kuhn, et cetera. And so we know that dynamic. Yeah. Third is that Democrats aren't done, you know, making an effort to get some type of working families package on health care and prescription drugs, et cetera. And that you w- think that's important? I, I personally think it's important, yes. I, I see some commentators point out, oh yeah, thank you. You know, because I, I, Democrats yeah. literally sent people checks. <laughs> no, I, and the president's popularity. But here, still here's the other thing: is and, and I've been a big, I've been yeah. really vocal on this, um, as you know, as a Democrat, is that how did you guys make that that fast? Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> Thanks a lot. You know, I, t- I told him not to put the coconut whipped cream, but fucking a, it's <laughs> good. You gotta try that. I mean, I don't know what the hell's in that. All right, so since we're in Nevada and 
Title 42 has become such a fraught issue for Democrats. Really going through the litany of stuff you, you don't want to talk about. <laughs> Inflation, crime, immigration. But how is, uh, how is Title 42, how is it showing up in, in, uh, in, in this race that you're working on and just in general from what your read on the data is? Title 42 doesn't just show up. Um, what shows up is when there's surges at the border. Um, and surges at the border just happen to hurt Democratic presidents worse than Republicans, like right because there's this again this narrative and branding, yeah, yeah, that the Republicans have done that there's an open border policy, which there's not, and you've probably seen the numbers, etc. But you know the surges that we've seen in 2021, yeah, you know they hurt, um, and I'm sure we're going to see more surges, and so this is really a to be seen, you know, uh, story about whether or not. We will see big surges at the border, which I believe happened in the summer. If you had some 2022 midterm dials in terms of issues you could turn down and turn up um, in terms of the, the national conversation. Yeah, uh, I mean, let's create a more favorable environment. What, what would they be? Well, the turn up is what we're doing for working families. But we got to do it <laughs> because American Recovery Act did so many tremendous things to keep people stable and get through the bad times. But yeah. that's not enough. The infrastructure package does some wonderful things, but it's really not enough. I mean, I think well, there's places we'll communicate on it, um, and it's it's a it's a gift. Don't get me wrong, but you know it would be nice to have a narrative, one right? more big package, yeah, or, or moderate package. You know, to be able to talk about you know those things that we do for working families. You and, said moderate package, so yeah, I don't know what that looks. I'm not a but, legislator. No, I know you're not. But but um, there was a time last year where. Everyone, the Democrats in Washington, were very excited about talking about Biden as FDR, and this was going to be a revolutionary. Uh, Who uh, started packet? <laughs> I mean, I really don't know. He didn't start it. I mean, but that's. You think that he, that's damaging? Enough? I think you. No, th I don't think it's damaging. I think that people who talk that way. Yeah. Are it's like, I, here's here's what chaps my ass, <laughs> is that we ran a campaign in 2020 outlining Joe Biden's vision. It was his vision. This is what he wanted to do. He's a policy guy, right? Um, and he laid it out. And it's really BBB, right? And then it got turned into he wants to be the next FBR. He never said that. Like, he outlined a policy vision, and he won that election, and he's, he's implemented some of it, and he's trying to implement more of it uh, for working families. And so I don't understand that connection. He never asked for it. It's kind of silly if you ask me. Um, but the, but the, the messaging to me got really kind of um, opaque and muddled. And the, the Well, the process. The process, um, the sausage-making machine. And you, you can't know, control going, the message the way you do in a campaign, obviously. Right. I mean, like, Which, you know, and so, you know, you have one or two you know, Mansion Cinema. I mean, we know the, and she's a client of our firm. And, and oh, we, she yeah, is? Okay. And we love her. Maybe but you the, can explain cinema to our listeners. <clears throat> no, but, um, you know, the fact is, is that the process has been rough. And the process byproduct is voters don't think Democrats can get anything done. And we have an opportunity to hopefully rectify that. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. I mean, people complain about the mansions and the cinemas of the world. But I'll tell you what. They weren't fucking complaining when they voted for Katanja Brown. Like, right? You know, 
I can give you a hundred different votes that Mansion and, and Cinema did that I'll cross myself and light a fucking candle, you know, in a church, <laughs> thanking them every day. And so get over it, people, and you know, let's get something passed. So when you see like uh, people like Gallegos planning to primary your 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 client there in Arizona, no comment. <laughs> like, 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 well, let's just let's get through this year, and you know, again, you know. There, there's a lot of things they're, they're, they're voting on that they're, we're, we're really glad they're there. I'm not going to ask you to offer a prediction about 2022. It is it, it is what it is. I think we all yeah, see I mean, where it's headed. Yeah. But what's the, and you talked about those Obama and Clinton and how they were reelected after miserable midterms. Do you think Joe Biden will run for reelection? I have no idea. No indication that he won't run. Yeah. And I think that there's a lot of us feel that if Trump runs, there's no one else that could beat Trump than Joe Biden. You know, and so, but I, you know, same argument as four years ago. Then that Biden was the one guy that. Well, could here's him. what everyone should look at. Yeah. And and in our Wall Street Journal poll, I'll, I'll plug that yeah, yeah. with Tony Fabrizio, <laughs> um, from Brooklyn and Long Island, my brother. <laughs> oh, where's he from? I didn't know he's from. He, Long Island he grew too. up. He, I think he was born in Brooklyn and grew up in Long Island. Okay. But you know, there's a very interesting dynamic that shows you the strength of Joe Biden. Everyone wants to talk about his his lower job rating numbers, but the fact is, is that. Um, interestingly, Trump's job rating, when you make people think of him, is actually higher right now than Joe Biden's. We've seen that in a bunch of polls. But you put him head to head. Trump's job rating yeah. is higher than Joe Biden's right now. Yeah. Okay. And again, um, Obama's, everyone's like popularity rating rises or job rating rises after the presidency. Right. That's not when a you're out, that's of the, not you're a, out of the political frame. Right. And people, again, a majority of people always liked Trump's agenda approved of his agenda. So again, it's not a it. not an unusual dynamic. That doesn't surprise me and it doesn't worry me. But the fact is, is that you go head to head and Joe Biden's always ahead of him. Not by a lot, one or two points. People don't want the chaos. And even now at Biden's even lowest approval rating. At his low, we just got out of, you know, at his lowest approval rating. Yeah. Um, he still beats um, Donald Trump. And, and so, in a horse race. And the fact is that people don't want him coming back. People don't want the chaos. Um, and, you know, uh, they believe that, you know, Biden can beat him. But I don't know anything. Like, you know, it's like... Well, you that, know some things. No, I, but, I, but I, you know, I mean, all I can say is I have no indication from anyone that I talk to in the, in, in the White House that he will do anything other than run. And I hope he does. Uh, and I hope we're a part of it. Uh, you don't assume that. When you were coming up as a pollster, is it... Is it sort of every consultant, every pollster's dream to sort of be, you know, the chief, the top pollster, the top media advisor, whatever it is, in a in a winning presidential yeah, I mean, campaign? So is that all, like yeah, the show? All, yeah, we all want to be part of a of a presidential, and and they're all different. I mean, you know, they're good experiences, bad experiences. There's nothing easy about it. It's fatiguing. Yeah, um, you feel a, a great level of privilege doing them, but there's nothing easy about them. John, thank you for doing this. Yeah. It was worth the coconut whipped cream. I mean, I usually don't <laughs> indulge in something like that, but uh, that was that made the banana better. You want to end with offering a prediction of what the uh, House and Senate races for 2022? No, of course I don't. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to be a, a wuss about it. What, but give me your here, here's, a, here's, a, here's what I will say. Yeah. You know, it's the worst political environment that I've been, you know, lived through in 30 years of being a political consultant. And it's probably started out earlier than I've you know ever been. I think that 
you know, we outlined, you know, Democrats nominating some bad people. We still got some time. Hopefully we uh, have a package put together. I think we have the ability to have a good contrasting message. <clears throat> I think that, you know, there's a big difference between losing seven and 10 seats in the House and getting your ass kicked and losing 35, 40. And, you know, we got to control to where, you know, we're competitive uh, and we have some work to do. Um, you know, we absolutely have some work to do. But I think we have the tools and toolbox to do to to kind of, again, break the D.C. narrative right now that we're going to get our asses kicked and just have some, you know, even if it's moderate losses and we have the ability to keep the Senate. I think we really have the ability to keep the Senate. Yeah. Um, great place to end. And thank you very much for doing this. Yeah, absolutely. It's good. Mm-hmm. A lot of fun. Appreciate your time. Good. All right. And that's our show. Our producers are Kara Tabor and Carlos Prieto. Brooke Hayes is our senior producer. Jenny Ament is our executive producer. Mike Zappler is Playbook's daily newsletter editor. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. A special shout out this week to our field producer, Patrick Melton, and to Alexa's Bar and Restaurant in Vegas. I'm Ryan Lizza. Thanks for listening.